Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. And good evening, dear church. Good to be with you. I hope you've had a good day. Um, I hope it was full of joyful things. Perhaps it wasn't. Perhaps you found yourself today uh, feeling lonely, feeling bored, feeling stressed, maybe feeling guilty or, or beat up. However your day was, you are in the right place tonight. Because here we are meeting not just with one another, which is an encouragement to remember that we're not trying to navigate the mess of life alone, but also meeting with, with our God, our God who is pleased, remember, pleased to see his children gathered together, worshiping him. You tonight are made in the image of God. You are sacred to him, and he loves you as you are, not as you ought to be. We're going to continue with our reflections this evening on what it means to be made in the image of God. I have to say it has been a real privilege to share with you so far. You can feel the gospel in this place. This is a a beautiful church. I experience the gospel as I see your joy, as I see your love, as I hear your vulnerability, as you share with me, some of you, some of what's going on in your lives, and I'm grateful for this time that we've had had together. And tonight, as we think about the image of God, I remind you that my contention has been that the image of God is not just a truth that we need to know, it's also a category that we need to think in. Not just a truth that you need to know and you stick on the shelf and when the question comes up in Sunday school, you know where to go for the right answer. Rather, this, this truth that we are made in God's image should become a category that shapes how we view the whole world. See it in the mirror, yes. See it in your neighbor, yes. But also allow this teaching to shape the way you view the entire world. Now, last night, we looked at a case study to see how the image of God starts to shape the way we move into the world. We talked about the image of God in the transgender community. Tonight, we're going to do one last example to try and just uh, flesh out this point a little further. We're going to consider how the image of God changes the way that we view race. Transgender issues, racial justice issues, the, all we need now is a talk on tithing and everyone will be upset. <laughs> For more on this topic, I would encourage you to read the book called The Beautiful Community, written by a PCA pastor called Erwin Entz. I'll be borrowing some from that this evening. But first, let's go to Genesis chapter 1 again. We're going to read the same verses, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. So please, as you're able, stand out of reverence for the Word of God. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This, friends, is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true, and it is given to us because he loves us. Father, we recognize you do love us this evening. So come, uh, draw near to us and um, give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear the truth that's in your word. Father, we know that your word is perfect. Um, 
but our understanding of it is not. So we need you to help us. And, ah, Father, you love to help your children. So come do so, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. The image of God and racial diversity. Christians should celebrate racial diversity. Christians should celebrate racial diversity. Not because it's popular, not because it's politically correct, but because every human being is made in the image of God. All of us are made in the image of God. Let's see this truth in the Bible by doing a little bit of theology together. Are you ready? Elbow your neighbor, tell them to put their thinking cap on and follow along with me as we consider point one, here's your first heading, that God is a beautiful community. God himself is himself a beautiful community. We know this, don't we? Because of the Trinity. So look down at Genesis 1, verse 26, where we read, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Who is God talking to here? Answer, himself. Himself. Now, not because he's crazy or like we might sometimes talk to ourselves, but because there are three persons within the Godhead. He exists within community. This is a conversation between the one God who exists in three persons. So there is but one God, the living and true God. Hands up if you had to learn the catechism when you were a kid. Okay. It's still beaten deep inside of me. And when I think about it, I still fear my mother a little bit. Okay. There is but one God, the living and true God, but there are three persons in the Godhead. Three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who are the same in substance, equal in power and glory. Now listen, exactly how the Trinity works is something of a mystery. And if anyone ever tries to over-explain this, um, we're better off worshiping instead worshiping this God who is so much greater, so much grander than our finite understanding. We know, of course, that it doesn't mean, the Trinity doesn't mean that there are like three separate gods. It's not like the Father's one God, the Son's one God, the Spirit. No, that's not how it is. There, is. there is one God. We also know that it's not that like one God plays three separate roles. So I, I'm a husband and I'm a father and I'm, and I'm a pastor but there's only one of me. That's not how it works with the Trinity. There is unity, oneness, and there is diversity, threeness. Unity and diversity. Erwin Ince writes, God is the apex of unchanging beauty. He is the ultimate beautiful thing as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He exists eternally in mutually glorifying, loving, honoring, supporting, diverse community. God exists in relationship with himself. Now, the church fathers described the relationship between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit using the term perichoresis. How's that for for a word? Technically, this is the concept that the three persons indwell and interpenetrate one another, but I bring it up because more practically, we can see their meaning by seeing a, a derivative of our word choreography in the word they use, perichoresis. So perichoresis leads to the word choreography. So when you think of the Trinity, think of a dance. 
When you think of the Trinity, think of a dance. Three persons in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, who move in time together, who move in rhythm together. They are in complete agreement over what they will do, and they are in complete agreement over how they will do it. They never step on each other's toes. They always move as one. There is unity in diversity. Our God is a beautiful community. Now, Why does this matter? Why do these nerdy terms and this dip into theology matter? Well, it matters because we've been made in the image of God. So what have we been made in the image of? We've been made in the image of a God who exists as one God in three persons. We've been made in the image of God who is himself a beautiful community, and we have been made like him. God is a beautiful community, and you are made in his image. We can look at the same verse, just highlighting different words. 26, God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So the God who exists as three in one created humanity to resemble, to represent him. Of course, there is only one human race, Acts chapter 17, verse 26, God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. But like with the triune God, there's great diversity in humanity. And there has to be if if we're to be made in his image. If we're to be made in his image, there has to be great diversity in humanity. And indeed, there is. There are men and there are women. Some are black and some are white And some are red all summer. (laughs) And some are sporty and some are smart. And some are poets and some love math. All of us share the same DNA, yet none of us have the same fingerprint. Isn't that a miracle? We're all the same, and yet we're all different. There is unity within this diversity. Why would God create us this way? Why aren't we all exactly the same? Listen to how Dutch theologian Herman Baving described it. He says, quote, the image of God, who God is, is much too rich for it to be fully realized in a single human being, however richly gifted that human being may be. It can only be somewhat unfolded in its depth and riches in a humanity counting billions of members. If God is going to display who he is on the the, the very landscape of creation, if he is going to paint with colors to to show what he is like, he, he, he can't communicate all of that in just one person. It's going to take millions, billions of people to, to capture what it means to be like him. And so God made us differently so that together we might be able to image him. The Trinity, who is a beautiful community of unity and diversity, made humanity a beautiful community of unity in diversity. Now, of course, don't get this wrong. You know, you yourself are made fully in the image of God. It's not like you're only partly made in the image of God and, you know, Someone else is made up of a different part of the image. No, you, you yourself are fully made in the image of God. But at the same time, you and I are also puzzle pieces that fit into the larger jigsaw, 
threads that are part of the larger tapestry that when put together, when combined as one, more fully declare the greatness and the grandeur and the glory of God. So we celebrate racial diversity because God is a beautiful community. In his image, humanity is a beautiful community too. So many implications, so many directions we could head in just now. Tonight, we're gonna have to content ourselves just with two particularly focusing on this question of race. First, we say, because God has made us in his image to be a beautiful community of unity and diversity, Christians, we should be the first people in the whole world to condemn racism. We don't do it because it's popular or politically correct. We don't do that to fit in with the world around We're not just trying to keep up with the times. We have gone to the text. And God has told us that all of humanity has been made in his image. And so we ought to be the most outraged of all when the image of God in men and women is somehow denigrated or somehow disrespected. We should be the first to condemn racism. We should condemn it when we see it globally because it doesn't matter where you're from. All human beings are made in the image of God. Americans, yes. Scots, yes. Ukrainians, yes. Russians, yes. South Koreans, yes. North Koreans, yes. Brazilians, Peruvians, how much time do we have? Yes, 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 yes. And yes, wherever you're from, you have unspeakable value, dignity, and worth. As we condemn racism globally, we would also want to condemn it nationally. We could, of course, describe a long history of uh, racist events in, in our own nation. Consider one from last summer. Remember when a, a white supremacist murdered 10 black image bearers at a grocery store in Buffalo? Esau Macaulay wrote, they died in a Topps grocery store because they were black and wanted to buy food on a Saturday in America. And the injustice of this, the evil of this, What makes this so wrong is that those black image bearers were made in the image of God. That's why we we condemn it globally. That's why we condemn it nationally. But for me tonight, I want to go one step further and say that's why I also condemn it in me personally. In me personally. Now, lean in with me for a second. When I'm talking about the seeds of racism in my own heart and when I'm inviting you to consider those in yourself. I'm not talking in the categories of our world. We've been so influenced, all of us, but the church included, have been so influenced by the outrage and the the noise of our political landscape and of cable news that we find it very hard not to think thoughts in the categories that they give to us. So you bring up something like racism and people immediately start talking about things like Black Lives Matter or CRT and I'm not talking about any of it. I'm not talking in the categories of the world. I'm trying to talk tonight in the categories of the Bible, in the categories of God's word. And when we talk biblically, the Bible says that none of us, none of us are free from sin. Here's a strange reality that I've noticed in the church world. Christians will typically all accept that, we, that we're sinful. And do you know what? In appropriate contexts, Christians in the church will even confess some of their 
more what they would consider to be their more shameful sins. They'll confess their struggles with, with pornography. They'll express, express their the failures in their marriage. They'll, they'll talk about the abortion that, that, that they had. As a community, we have a category to think about, think about sin, and we're, we're, we're happy. Like, you can't become a Christian without acknowledging you're a sinner, so we're, we're all kind of comfortable to acknowledge that, that we're sinful. But the second you bring up racism, everyone gets very defensive. As if... <laughs> Okay, so that's the one sin you've conquered? <laughs> All the other sins, yes, the seeds of those are in my heart, but racism, never. And you see what's happening? It, we are um, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We are allowing the world's categories of shame and cancel culture to, to bleed into how we think about our own sin. There's such a cultural social pressure to never acknowledge that you're any kind of racist that we think that, that we must somehow declare ourselves free from this sin. But friends, when it comes to all sin, none of us is perfect. None of us. Have you never felt superior because of the group that you're in? I know I have. Have you never felt uh, or shown partiality towards people with whom you feel you've, you fit in? I know I have. Are you ready to declare that this is the one area in which you're completely free from sin? I know I am not. Let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. We search our hearts for these ugly seeds and then we root them out. Because confession is the pathway to grace and forgiveness and new life and hope. That's how we become new creations. That's how we become creatures like Christ. Because God made us in his image to be a beautiful community of unity in diversity, Christians are the first to condemn racism in our world, in our nation, even in our own hearts. Second though, perhaps more hopefully, we don't stop there. Because God made us in his image to be a beautiful community of unity in diversity, not only do we condemn racism, but more positively, we long to be a yet more beautiful church. A yet more beautiful church. A gloriously diverse future awaits believers in Christ. You know that? What does our future look like? What is our destiny? Our destiny is to live forever in a gloriously diverse collection of humanity. When John was given a vision of heaven, you remember this passage? Revelation 7, 9, what did he say? Behold, a great multitude that no one could number. Where are they from? Every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. See what your future is? If you are black, God will resurrect your black body and you will stand black, worshiping him before the throne. If you are Asian, God will resurrect your Asian body and you will stand Asian, worshiping him before the throne. If you're Hispanic, God will resurrect your Hispanic body and you will stand Hispanic, worshiping forever before the throne. If you are white, God will resurrect your white body and you will stand worshiping him white forever before the throne. And all of us will stand together as this beautiful community redeemed by God's own son. That's our future. And because that's our future, dear ones, because that's where we're going, 
that kingdom can break in now. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we know what's happening in heaven. And so that can, be, that can begin to break in, in now. Uh, Peter Lightheart writes this. Oh man, this is my favorite example. My last and favorite example all weekend of a theologian making something grossly complicated. The church is a proleptic sign of that eschatological reality. Wow. <laughs> Job security for Peter Lightheart. What on earth does he, what does he mean? Well, actually he means something beautiful. Because eschatological refers to that time in this context when we're in heaven. And proleptic means that the church is a mirror. The church is to be a mirror of what heaven looks like. That's, that's what he's trying to say. Now, I put it that way so I don't get to write books, all right? The church is to be a mirror of what heaven looks like. People should know what heaven looks like by looking at the church now. Isn't that a compelling thought? That we get to declare to humanity something of how beautiful life can be. That people in their brokenness and in their heart and in their despair could come here and, and find a, a taste of what their eternity could be. In us they should see his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, of course, in this world we don't see unity in diversity, but in the church we can. Because Jesus has broken down all the barriers that, that separate us. We are one in him. And so for this reason, we long for our churches to look like heaven. Now, of course, no congregation is going to contain people from every single nation of the earth. But we do want our churches to, to look like the community that we live in. We do want the complexion of our church to match the complexion of our community. And isn't that evangelicals, isn't that the least controversial statement ever? What am I saying? We think we should reach the community God put us in. It's the great commission, it's the great commandment. It's very simple, basic, ordinary stuff. Uh, we don't need to buy in, into the outrage on this, this uh, topic. We want people of different ages and socioeconomic backgrounds and educational backgrounds and professional backgrounds and ethnic backgrounds and all the rest in our church. And might I be so bold to say that if someone isn't welcome here, the problem lies with us. The problem lies with us. Our churches can be a mirror that shows the world just how beautiful life can be and just how beautiful eternity will be. God made us a beautiful community of unity and diversity, so we long for a yet more beautiful church. Where do we get the power to, to live that way? Where do we get the power to be that kind of church? Of course you know the answer is in Jesus. A friend of mine recently told me, I don't know if it's hilarious or disturbing or hilariously disturbing or disturbingly hilarious, I don't know, but here it is. Um, he told, told me the story of his first ever crush, uh, he was a college student back in the, in the early 70s, and he went there as, as an engineering student, and in one of his engineering classes, he, he ran into this just incredibly cute girl. Two things blew his mind immediately. First of all, early 70s, hardly any girls did engineering. Second of all, she was just the most beautiful thing that he had seen. There was only just one problem. 
He was an engineering student, which means he has no game. <laughs> Now, engineer, if you're an engineer, I can only speak the truth, okay? That's all I can do. So he just didn't know how to talk to her. He didn't know how to approach her. He just didn't know what to do. He thought about it a couple of times and couldn't bring himself to do it. And so as the semester went on, he fell more and more in love and he continued not to say anything, anything to her. Well, one day he was walking through the courtyard of the university and he saw her sitting barefoot over on a park bench and he thought, right, that's it. I've had enough. Today's the day I'm going to go and speak to this girl. You know, he gave himself the kind of pep talk, right? He's sort of the rocky pep talk and off he goes, ready to talk to her. And as he approaches the bench where she's sitting, before he can say a word, she hikes up her foot and bites off her toenail in her mouth. And in an instant, he fell out of love. <laughs> Why? Because it was a crush. It was something shallow. It was something superficial. And we remember, dear ones, that's not how God loves us. You ready for a weird sentence that will only make sense in this context ever? God has caught us all doing worse than putting our toenails in our mouths. Isn't that the truth? Don't you wish that was the most shameful thing you'd ever done? And yet he loves us. He loves us as we are, not as we ought to be. Though in so many ways we are so different to him, we are still beautiful to him. Why? Because we're made in his image. And when you have been loved like that, when you have been loved like Christ, you start to love like Christ. Loved by him, you start to love like him. And so even people who are different to you, even people who you might not find it easy to connect, even people who there's some things about that you don't, you don't like, we can learn to love because God has loved us like that. Amen. Amen. Lord, we are grateful for these few moments together to reflect upon what it means to be made in the image of God. It's a profound and beautiful truth. And we do pray, Lord, that more and more it would shape the way that we think about ourselves, that we would understand we have been made and remade by you in the gospel of Jesus, and that you are pleased with your children. Would it shape more and more, Lord, the way we think about our neighbors, that we would um, remember, Lord, that we've never met a mere mortal, <laughs> that all those uh, we come into contact with have incredible value, dignity, and worth. And Lord, would it shape the way we move out into this world so that as we confront difficult, challenging, hard, uh, confusing issues like all that's going on in the transgender community and all the tensions that exist in our nation around questions of race, we would be a disarming community of grace who loves the world like you've loved us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. 
If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.